Hi, hello, and welcome. Episode number 108 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Audie Elmore. A lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. Week 5 in the NFL has concluded, and it did so in a relatively wild fashion. During Monday Night Football, it was played out that John Gruden had stepped down as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. He, and that situation, will be the topic for subject or the for, for segment number one. In segment number two, I'm going to talk about the craziest NFL game I have ever attended, which happened over the weekend at Paul Brown Stadium when the Bengals and the Packers traded five consecutive missed field goals in an overtime thriller in which the Packers won. I'll talk about that, my experience, Paul Brown Stadium, the Bengals, Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, all of that in the second hour along with everything else from the NFL in week five. But there is one major story that is taking over the NFL landscape and really the sports landscape right now, and, and that's John Gruden. John Gruden is or was the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. He is uh, one of the more respected coaches, or so many thought, and he signed a 10-year, $100 million deal with the Raiders to become their head coach just a couple of years ago. This is a guy who coached the Raiders in the late 90s, early 2000s before going to Tampa and winning a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. He was revered. He was uh, a lot of times praised because of his work ethic. And he was a funny guy. And he's got this very specific persona about him and, and, and just a, an interesting guy, a character, really, truly a character. He was, you know, made fun of a lot and, and um, because just the, the type of guy he is, you know, knock on wood if you're with me, man. Like John Gruden, this guy is all football all the time. And, and, and Frank Caliendo famously mocked him and his face and the way that he coaches in the visor and he, he worked for ESPN. He was a Monday Night Football. This was one of the guys that was really one of the more – uh, popular people in the NFL, right? And he had made this this big comeback to coaching, and he was hired by the Raiders in 2018 to basically usher in this new era of Raider football. They're going to be getting a new stadium. They're moving to Las Vegas. The Raiders are going to be back. They've got a good quarterback. They've got a great young core. Their defense has some good stars, young stars on it. And so this is the time for John Gruden to take the Raiders back to where he had them before, which was on the precipice of greatness. And the Raiders have been looking since the 80s, really, to get back to that precipice of greatness. The Raiders have been trying to find and, and live up to their creed, which is a commitment to excellence. John Gruden was supposed to deliver that to Raider fans. He was supposed to deliver that to Raider Nation. But he got off to a slow start, hasn't really proven that he is anything more than he is that he's anything worth what the Raiders had paid for him. They seem to be taking steps in the right direction. They just moved into Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. The quarterback play has improved from Derek Carr. They started the season 3-0. and A lot of people thought, okay, it's finally time for the Raiders to take off. Well, they lost a couple of games, and now there's stuff going on that has led to John Gruden in the public eye. And in the first one of those was an email about the NFL Players Association president, DeMarie Smith. And this came out, uh, it was, he emailed it, I think, in 2011, so 10 years ago. 
and he used a racial trope in which he talked about the size of DeMarie Smith's lips. He said he's got lips the size of Michelin tires. He called him Dumb Marie Smith. He, you know, obviously was just taking shots at this guy. And obviously a racial trope, something like that, that, that's just, there's no room for that, obviously. However, I think a lot of people gave John the benefit of the doubt because that was 10 years ago. And at the time, he wasn't working for the Raiders. He was a analyst for Monday Night Football with Mike Tirico. And when I first heard this news, I thought, okay, that's obviously a terrible thing to say. He shouldn't have said that. But I hope that that is something that, you know, he has learned from over the course of the last 10 years. Because I know, me personally, and my education, understanding around race and uh, social injustices and, and the various issues that minorities and people of color face, my education and understanding of that now is so much wider than it was 10 years ago. I am an entirely different person when it comes to that. I, I think uh, along lines that I didn't know existed before, I, I've come to understand. And a lot of that is because of the different issues that have gone on in the United States over the course of the last 10 years. George Floyd is a perfect example of that. Those sorts of, of terrible things happen and they drive change and they drive conversation, they drive education. And I thought to myself, OK, well, surely... Now that he's back in the NFL and he's head coach and he's got a, a strong contingent of African-American players and minorities on his team, surely he can't possibly feel the same way now that he did 10 years ago. Because I don't know many people that are the same person now than they were 10 years ago. So I, I expected that you know this wouldn't be a big deal. Maybe Gruden gets suspended for a game. He has to deal with that in the locker room and talk to the players and the Raiders move forward. Because when you look at the history of the Raiders, the Raiders are one of the most inclusive, forward-thinking organizations in the history of professional football. Al Davis, who founded and owned the Raiders and took them to, to prominence, Al Davis was so far ahead of his time. They bucked a lot of stereotypes coming up. They gave chances to... African-Americans when it came to coaching. They gave chances to Latinos when it came to coaching. Women in the front office. Various different situations over and over and over again. There's an article written by Mark Thompson in The Athletic. He talked about um, some of the things that Al Davis did when he was founding the Raiders. And I, I think this paragraph is important. There's an 85-foot torch at Allegiant Stadium. It is always lit to remember the memory of Al Davis. It says, That 85-foot torch in Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas is a glorious reminder of the man who changed sports and thus society with his version of rebellion. Al Davis refused to play in Mobile, Alabama in 1963 because of the state's segregation laws. He hired Art Shell, making him the first black coach in the NFL. He hired Amy Trask as the first female chief executive. He hired Tom Flores, a Hall of Famer, as the second Latino coach in NFL history. He set a foundation so strong that Carl Nassib became the first openly gay player in the NFL, and it was fitting he played for the Raiders. Gruden betrayed this spirit, and he isn't worthy to hang the white tracksuit, let alone lead Al Davis's franchise. Now you might be saying, well, he only said the thing about the lips. He attacked his appearance. No big deal. Well, more emails came out. More emails came out that were misogynistic, homophobic, racist, 
things that you really just don't want to see, things that have no place in today's society, and certainly fly in the face of what Al Davis worked so hard to build with the Las Vegas Raiders. I think that's a perfect example of who Al Davis was, that paragraph. They did a lot of things. It's a very forward-thinking, inclusive organization. This is a fan base that has a massive group of minorities. Specifically, Latino fans are a lot of times, a lot of Latino fans are Raider fans. There's a lot of African-American Raider fans. This coming from, number one, their place in geographical place in the United States, having been in Los Angeles and then Oakland and now in Las Vegas. All this you know, works together. So then you have Carl Nassib, who uh, came out earlier this summer. He's having a really good season for the Raiders. He's being productive, and he is a guy that, again, was a part of the Raiders when there was a step taken forward in this particular situation as when he, with him coming out uh, as the first openly gay player, active player on an NFL roster. So these are all things that, that work together and tell you about the character of the Las Vegas Raiders, of the Raiders organization, the commitment to excellence that extended beyond and extends beyond just the football field. And so when these emails come out that John Gruden had been sending over the course of seven years, it becomes rather obvious this, this guy can't continue. But before I talk more about those emails, there was something that, that really struck me on Sunday Night Football, Football Night in America leading up to Sunday Night Football. Now, this is before all the information about the additional emails came out. Mike Tirico, who was John Gruden's partner at ESPN on Monday Night Football during the time, and Tony Dungy, a former NFL head coach who preceded John Gruden in Tampa Bay, both of whom are African Americans, talked about this situation and how they felt when it came to Gruden and that particular racial trope that he used in in regards to DeMarie Smith. Take a listen to this. And I'm not going to chalk everything up to racism. I think we accept his apology, move forward, and move on just like he did with his team. Yeah, I, I, I think in being honest with the audience, I, I should weigh in a little bit here because I was with John at that time, uh, seven years as my partner on Monday Night Football. I probably know John better than anybody in the league on a personal level. He said, all right, he was ashamed by the comments in the email. The comments in the email are wrong. But my experience kind of parallels Tim Brown, who played for John, Hall of Fame wide receiver. He said he never experienced or saw anything that would say John was racist in any way. That is exactly the experience I had those seven years of traveling three days together on the road every week. So the story will continue to play out. The league may weigh in. The team may weigh in. So the, the story did continue to play out, and I should have gotten to that audio clip earlier, but that was kind of how I felt about everything. I was like, okay, well, you know, this guy obviously has has moved on. This was 10 years ago. He shouldn't be held, you know, he shouldn't be canceled, essentially, because of something he said 10 years ago that, you know, he sh- certainly has learned from. And, and he had people like Tony Dungy and Mike Tirico and Tim Brown backing him up. But now, you know, more stuff has come out. More emails have come out. And the, and the crazy part about this is how those emails were discovered. So. If you follow the NFL at all, you know that the Washington football team is under a massive investigation. They have been the the butt of the jokes, really, across the NFL for the last several years. They had to change their name to the Washington football team because the other name they had previously was considered racist. And they then launched an investigation. The NFL launched an investigation into the culture because there were issues surrounding extended 
terrible levels of se- uh, sexual harassment within the offices. There were um, uh, various different situations and unhealthy relationships with the owner, Dan Snyder, and all these different things. And one of the things that got brought up in this investigation, this was over a year ago um, when, when some of this came out, was that there were a really unhealthy relationship with the cheerleaders. The cheerleaders were basically coerced into taking topless photos for a, a a calendar shoot. And then these photos were taken and sent around the office. And eventually these photos were emailed to John Gruden. And, and you're saying, okay, well, how does John Gruden have anything to do with this? Well, Bruce Allen was the general manager of Washington at the time. He and John Gruden were friends. They worked together previously in Oakland. And they began to, they they had basically this, this email chain with a couple of other people. And they would say different things. And, and over the course of these emails, Situations were brought up. Number one, Bruce Allen was using his team email for these conversations, which is completely unacceptable. But, you know, if you look at it one way, if he hadn't been doing this, if the NFL hadn't been investigating the workplace situation, the culture in Washington, and he hadn't been using his work email for these things, then all of a sudden none of this ever gets found out. So ultimately, I guess it's a good thing because there's really no need, no room for for this kind of behavior in the NFL. But long story short, or in the in the world period but long story short these emails are exchanged and, and they talk about various issues surrounding the league and John is at ESPN at the time and they're talking about Roger Goodell and they're talking about kneeling for the national anthem and they're talking about DeMarie Smith and they're talking about um, Michael Sam and, and he uses derogatory language language that that people that are uh, under that classification people that are homosexuals people that are minorities people um, that, that women would find offensive, right? So uh, this all gets uncovered. And the New York, the New York Times gets a, gets, a, gets a hold of this. They publish the article saying, hey, you know, this is everything we know. This is the things he said. This is what he said about Roger Goodell. This is what he said about Dee Murray Smith. He got these pictures of these cheerleaders. He uh, said this about homosexual players. He said this about women and blah, 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 blah. All this stuff comes out, and eventually it becomes relatively obvious uh, this this there's no coming back from this because of everything we said before even if it was several years ago john gruden the 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 level of hate that he spread was not just to one group of people it wasn't just to black people it wasn't just to gay people it wasn't just to women it wasn't just to the commissioner it was widespread things he was saying there's no room for that not in the nfl not in the las vegas raiders not in general like there's no need for that there, there isn't. There's, there's, it just shouldn't be happening. So within an hour of this article coming out, John Gruden resigns as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. He said in a statement, I have resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. I'm sorry. I never meant to hurt anyone. In my opinion, this is a classic case of a guy who just has no idea the magnitude of his words, who is so old school, has no idea, doesn't take seriously the changes that are going on in society, who still talks the same old way, who still says the same old things. And he very well may not mean them, but he's still saying them, and that's enough. Because if you're still saying them, you aren't putting forth the effort to change. You're not putting forth the effort to have education. And when you talk about leading a football team, if you're saying these things in private and, and, and then your team finds out about them, 
your team that is comprised mostly of of African American players, then you're going to struggle to come back from that. You've lost your credibility. When you lose the credibility in a locker room, specifically in an NFL locker room, it's hard to come back from. You can ask Urban Meyer about that right now. He's going through the same thing. Now, did he lose it because he's a racist? No, he did it because he made a stupid decision in a bar. NFL players don't discriminate on stupidity. If you're not helping them, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, if you're not advancing the cause, you're not needed. And say what you want about John Gruden. The NFL has to take a long look at some of these situations because Washington is obviously under investigation for a reason, right? So if this has happened in Las Vegas, and who knows if that's actually you know the way that John Gruden went about things in Vegas, who knows? But based on those emails, you would, say, you would think that this is a guy that probably hasn't changed very much. What if that's happened in Las Vegas? And we already know a lot of the extent of what's happened in Washington, but there's 650,000 emails they're going through, and this is just the first batch, and it took out a coach from another team. What else are we going to find out? What are we going to find out about Dan Snyder? What are we going to find out about the relationship between the uh, the organization and Robert Griffin III when he was there? What are we going to find out about Jay Gruden, who was the head coach of Washington for a short period of time there as well? You know, I, I think this goes deeper. And the NFL has done, and to their credit, has worked really hard on, on diversity and inclusion and, and working this stuff into the league because they know that there's probably a lot of these situations in which there's a workplace culture that's inappropriate and does not advance the way it should. Because in, in speaking specifically on race, African-American young men are the reason the NFL is what it is. Without them, it's just not the same. It, it really does not exist. So this stuff needs to be taken seriously, and you need to press forward by doing the right thing. And the NFL has learned that lesson the hard way. I bet if you ask them, they would completely redo the Colin Kaepernick situation. They would completely redo the kneeling situation. They would completely redo the national anthem thing with players having to be out there or not having to be out there or whatever they, you want to call it. They've stumbled, but the NFL for the first time, I think, is really truly headed in the right direction because they're taking care of things like this that need to be taken care of. It's a shame, too, because I was always fond of John Gruden. Gruden and the way that he coached and the persona that he had, I, I was a fan of that. I have a T-shirt. I bought a T-shirt from uh, a John Gruden T-shirt several years ago because the guy, you just never knew what was going to come out of his mouth on Monday Night Football. He said one time, you never know. He said one time, he said, anything could happen on any given Sunday, especially on Monday night. And I just thought that was hilarious. I have a shirt that said that. I bought it from the Dan Patrick Show. I was a fan of the way he operated his teams. But now, obviously, looking back on that, that's not a guy I want to support. That's not somebody I want to be around. And that's not somebody, in my opinion, who's ever going to coach in the NFL again. John Gruden out as the Raiders head coach. Talking about NFL Week 5, Bengals, Packers, and a whole bunch more. Next, you're listening to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Welcome back to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. I am your host, Audie Elmore. 
appreciate you being here. Appreciate you listening. Week five in the NFL. Unbelievable, Andy Mack. Um, you know, I, I was very lucky. I got to go to the game in Cincinnati. I'll talk about that at the very end. But that was one of the most absurd football games I've ever been to. At one point, we're looking around like, what are we witnessing right now? I, I thought at one point maybe there was divine intervention that the Bengals were actually supposed to win that football game. We'll talk about all that uh, in just a moment. But first, let's talk about what else happened in the NFL Week 5. Got started on Thursday night football. The Rams over the Seahawks 26-17. Rams are now 4-1. and one. The Seahawks are 2-3. and three. That's their first loss on Thursday night football since Week 7 of 2012. They'd won nine straight. Well, actually lost something else, too. Russell Wilson injured his finger, had to have surgery. It's the Geno Smith show for the Seahawks uh, for the foreseeable future. Early game in London on Sunday morning, Jets-Falcons. Falcons win this one 27-20. It certainly was not actually that close. Kyle Pitts is the most receiving yards, 119 by a game, in a game by a rookie in London. The Falcons are 2-3, and three, the Jets 1-4. and four. Lions and the Vikings. Vikings edge out Detroit 19-17. The Lions are 0-5. The Vikings 2-3. and three. Greg Joseph hit a game-winning 54-yard field goal as time expired, and Lions head coach Dan Campbell cried after the game. Saints and the Washington football team in Maryland. Saints win 33-22. They are 3-2 on the season. The football team is 2-3. Alvin Kamara, 71 rushing yards and a touchdown, 51 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown as well. Patriots-Texans, this was a really surprising game for a while because Davis Mills and the Texans were up all over the Patriots, but as they normally do, Bill Belichick and company made adjustments. They come back and beat the Texans 25-22. New England's 2 and 3. The Pats or the Texans, excuse me, 1 and 4. Rookie quarterbacks now 1 and 11 since 2014 against New England. Dolphins and the Buccaneers, I, you know, a lot of trash was talked to Bengals fans over the offseason by, by Miami Dolphins fans. Number one, you could just kind of see the delusion among them because they thought Tua Tagovailoa was better than Joe Burrow. That's just not the case. They also thought Jalen Waddell was better than Jamar Chase. <laughs> That's just not the case. The Dolphins stink. They're 1-4. They lost 45-17 to the Buccaneers, who are an absolute wagon right now. Tommy B., 400-plus passing yards, five-plus touchdown passes in a game for the first time in his career. He threw for 411 and five touchdowns. Broncos and Steelers, Pittsburgh wins 27-19. They're 2-3. and three. The Broncos, 3-2. and two. They've come crashing back down to earth. Najee Harris, the Steelers, fourth Pittsburgh rookie with 120 rushing yards and a touchdown in a game since 1970. Eagles, Panthers, I never know what I'm going to get from the Eagles week in and week out. They are a, a serious mystery box. Pandora's box, a football team. They win 21-18 over Carolina. They're 2-3. and three. The Philly defense has three interceptions in this game. That's the first time they've done that since week two of 2019. Titans and the Jags. Urban Meyer continues to feel the pressure. Tennessee all over Jacksonville, 37-19. The Jags are 0-5. They've lost 20 straight games. That's the third longest streak in NFL history. In Los Angeles, the Chargers beat the Browns 47-42. Extremely entertaining game here. The Chargers are now 4-1. The Browns 3-2. Baker Mayfield, that's his third career loss when scoring 42 or more points. That's the most in NFL history. Bears and Raiders, John Gruden's last game, he falls to the Bears 20-9. That's their first road win against the Raiders since 2007 for Chicago. 
Niners and Cardinals, the Cardinals are the last remaining unbeaten at 5-0. and They take down the Cardinals, who go to 2-3, 17-10, the final score. Arizona has won five straight games. That's their longest streak since Carson Palmer was airing it out for them in 2015. Giants-Cowboys, Cowboys win 44-20. I, won't, I don't want to sound the alarms, but the Cowboys look really, really good. They're 4-1. and one. The Giants are 1-4. and four. This was a crazy game. Kenny Galladay gets hurt. Saquon Barkley gets hurt. Daniel Jones gets hurt. Uh, they lost somebody like an offensive lineman or somebody got hurt too. I mean, they were playing with Mike Glennon and Kadarius Toney for a while there. But Travion, or Trayvon Diggs, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite players in the NFL, he got another interception. That's an interception or more in five straight games. That's the longest Dallas streak since 1970. Sunday night football, Bills over the Chiefs 38-20. to Kansas City looks horrible. They're giving up over seven yards per play on defense, and if you're going to do that, you ain't going to win many football games, no matter if you have Patrick Mahomes or not. Buffalo 4-1, and Kansas City 2-3. and they, Buffalo has won each of their last 11 wins. Excuse me, let me just restart that. Buffalo, each of their last 11 wins have been by 10 or more points. That's the longest streak since 1998 and 1999. Monday night football last night, Colts over the Ravens. Psych! Ravens come back, beat the Colts 31-25. Lamar Jackson has the most passing yards in a game in Baltimore Raven history with 442. The Colts are absolutely useless. I needed them to win this game. Bengals fans needed them to win this game. I go to sleep. It's 22-3. I wake up, and the Ravens win it in overtime, 31-25. Just an epic collapse. The Colts are terrible. So that leaves one game on the docket. It was played at 1 o'clock at Paul Brown Stadium, the Green Bay Packers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Green Bay goes to 4-1 and with a 25-22 overtime victory over Cincinnati. That's the first time the Packers have won a game in Cincinnati since 1998. So eight years ago, I went to the game with my cousin Josh, who was a big Packer fan. And uh, it was a very entertaining game then because – the Bengals won 37 to 33 I think it was another shootout it was um it was a long touchdown a fumble return for a touchdown and the Bengals offense was rolling and Aaron Rodgers threw a couple of picks and the atmosphere was electric because there's so many Packer fans there and fast forward to to this year it was like deja vu all over again because again a ton of Packer fans again an electric atmosphere again the offenses made some big plays. Obviously, watching Aaron Rodgers is, is just an absolute treat no matter what. And seeing him go off to Devontae Adams, who had 11 catches for 200-plus yards and a touchdown. Rodgers threw for 344 yards and a couple of touchdowns. I mean, it was, just, it was really, really fun to watch. Just great back-and-forth game. And then you get to the final several minutes, and the Bengals go on this really nice drive. They get down inside the red zone. They punch it in with Joe Mixon and – they get the two-point conversion with T. Higgins. At that point, I had transformed myself into another universe. I was, like, screaming at the ground. I was so excited. Um, I was with my cousin Josh again. I was with my friend Shelby, who, who came with, with us this time. And it was just raucous. It was crazy. I mean, we were pumped up. And then I looked at Josh, and I said, you know, I feel like that meme right now where people are like, they're really celebrating, but they're giving the ball back to Rodgers. Well, that was the case. The Bengals had, you know, given the ball back to Aaron Rodgers, and, and he had plenty of time. But – you know, sure enough, he gets the the Packers into field goal range, and what do they do? They they miss a field goal, and then here come the Bengals. Bengals get down there with a chance to win it, and what do they do? They miss a field goal. So we go to overtime. Joe Burrow immediately throws an interception, but what do the Packers do? Well, 
they miss a field goal. <laughs> and, you know, it was just an unbelievable set of circumstances that, like, led to this. And eventually, after trading possessions a couple of times with a couple minutes left in overtime, Green Bay, Mason Crosby comes back and nails the field goal to win the game. But it was it was seriously one of the craziest games I've ever been to. I've been very lucky to be to be in a lot of games and go to a lot of games and crazy experiences and stuff like that. I was I was just feet away from Jerome Simpson when he did the front flip against the Arizona Cardinals Christmas Eve uh, several years ago. I was there the night Ryan Shazier broke his neck. Um, I was there. The uh, oh, I just lost it. It was the. Uh, Jeremy Hill, 85-yard touchdown run against the Denver Broncos on Monday Night Football. Dre Kirkpatrick pick six is Peyton Manning. The Bengals clinch a playoff spot. I was there when uh, the Bengals played the Ravens on New Year's Day of like 2012 and clinched a playoff spot in Andy Dalton's rookie year. And I was there the day after Chris Henry died, the, the week after Chris Henry died when the Bengals played their first home game. They clinched the playoffs against the Kansas. All these different games I've been to, I've been very lucky to go to and be at. And none of them were as crazy as this because people start looking around after the third missed field goal from from Mason Crosby, and then Evan McPherson misses, and he thinks he made it. You know, here's the crazy part about that Evan McPherson thing. He kicks this field goal, and he blasts this thing. He thinks he, he the way it looks, and I don't blame him. He thought it was going in. He knew he got a hold of it. It was money, and it just pushes left hard at the end. And what's crazy about that was a 50-yard field goal, I think. And he hit the flag on the top of the upright. That thing would have been good from 70. You know, how often, number one, nobody ever hits the flag. Number two, the fact that he is putting it over the goalpost, like over the top of the goalpost from 50 yards out just tells me that dude's got a leg, man, like a crazy leg. Uh, he misses. Obviously, Crosby comes down, makes the field goal to win. But they, at one point after that miss, we're all just looking around like, what is happening? Like, like is is there something in the water here? Like, why is it? What are we witnessing right now? It was a crazy environment. Honestly, I can't even be that mad. Uh, I can't even be that mad about a loss because the Bengals, to me, and I know Green Bay was was hurt and they had, you know, multiple starters out and all these different things. That's fine. But at the same time, you know, the Bengals impressed me. They showed me that they have what it takes to kind of hang with Aaron Rodgers, keeping Rodgers at 25 points or less. And obviously they missed a few goals, but the Bengals were right there with them. And Devontae Adams said after the game, this is not the same old Bengals team. I mean, these guys... Uh, they didn't roll over like everyone expects them to. They really fought hard, and, and they played their their butts off. And, and I was very impressed. Joe Burrow made two really, really bad plays. The interception he threw, this is what killed him. The first, the first possession out of the second half, the Bengals immediately get the ball across midfield. And Burrow on this just simple little play-action roll right, nothing's there. From my vantage point, I, was, I had basically Burrow's view. We were in the end zone. And you could just tell right away, Packers covered the whole thing. Like, there was nowhere to go with the ball. And Burrow tries to force it, tries to be aggressive. I understand being aggressive and gets intercepted. Burrow, earlier in the game, tries to go run on like a third and 13, dives forward, almost gets killed, ends up getting a contusion on his throat, all these other things. Overtime starts, Burrow, miscommunication with Tyler Boyd, throws it right into the hands of uh, of D. Smith there for the Packers. And all of a sudden, you're like, geez, what is going on? So, uh, there's some certain, certainly some question marks about the Bengals' play calling. I think Zach Taylor is trying to figure out who he is as a play caller, which honestly is unacceptable. You're in your third year as an NFL head coach. Um, you know, if you listen to us on Cincy 360 on ESPN 1530, we talk about Zach Taylor when he was the um, 
when he was the the offensive coordinator at the University of Cincinnati, they averaged 19 points a game in a bad conference. That might say a lot, honestly, about Zach Taylor and how he is as a play caller. And and I think there's a lot of questions about maybe it's time to move on from Zach. Maybe it's time to to let Brian Callahan call the plays. And I don't know, but I know one thing for sure that this Bengals team is better than the Bengals team that was there the year before. And they're way better than the 2-14 and 14 team the year before. I don't know what this team is going to be. I don't know how they're going to end up. But what I know is they are legitimate. They are a team that is not going to be a team that's just going to roll over. So long as they stay healthy, so long as Burrow stays healthy, and if they can find a way to just put up some points, the defense has played very, very well. They'll be in a lot of football games, especially with the Baltimore Ravens, who, despite their 4-1 and one record, don't actually look very good. The Cleveland Browns, who appear to have no defense whatsoever, and Baker Mayfield has a partially torn labrum. The Pittsburgh Steelers don't appear to be very good. So you look at the AFC North and you say, okay, well, maybe this is actually up for grabs. And you look at the Bengals' next four games, they're at the Detroit Lions, who are 0-5. Then they play Baltimore, and then they're at the New York Jets, who are, by the way, 1-4 and and really bad. Then they come home to play Cleveland before the bye week. That's a game. That's a situation where you would expect to be at least two and two, right? And so, if you're two and two, then you're five and four at, at the break. I think you feel pretty good about yourself uh, going into your bye week, getting ready for the second half when your your schedule gets a little bit more challenging. You'll play Pittsburgh again. You'll play the the San Francisco 49ers, who nobody really knows what they are right now, with Trey Lance being banged up, Jimmy Garoppolo being out, George Kittle, I believe, is hurt. Uh, the the Chargers are going to come to Cincinnati. That's going to be a big time showdown with Justin Herbert. Uh, it's going to be an interesting you know set of games for the Bengals in the second half. But it's, especially if they can make good, certainly beat the Detroit Lions, beat the New York Jets, and if you can maybe steal one from Cleveland or Baltimore. Cleveland, of course, being at home in Cincinnati, I think you really got to like the Bengals' chances to maybe make some noise in that second half. And I think it all starts with Joe Burrow, who has just been fantastic. So. Those are my thoughts. I hope that uh, I did enough for you, and I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. I love football. We are full swing football. Remember, ball don't lie. Have fun. Be safe. Go Bucks. <laughs>